0: Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Coon. Gabe
1: Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the easy. easy Bake Oven. Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's Gabe time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM, ESPN. With today's special guest host, Sparky Pfeiffer. Good Friday to you. The
2: weekend is here. It is time to party this weekend. Probably not. I'll be home with the kids on my couch, is my guess. But uh, either way, uh, enjoy the weekend uh, while you're having them back to work and and the grind coming up next week. Uh, Fun show today. Bill Bender from the Sporting News, uh, national football writer for them, does the NFL and college football. Talk uh, some Memphis Tulane with him. Talk some Titans football coming up at 4.30. It's about one-half hour from right now. And then Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports uh, makes his college uh, and pro picks, uh, including he's got an idea of where he wants to go in the Tennessee-Indianapolis game. I will talk to him uh, in about 90 minutes at 5.30 and then 6 o'clock. Frank Bonner second from the Daily Memphian, beat writer for Memphis football. He joins us to lead off the 6 o'clock hour. Uh, and got to talk to him about the transfer portal. Great piece by him today if you haven't seen it about The transfers that have come to Memphis, some of the the guys that came from the SEC and why they chose Memphis over some other schools. Great piece. Highly recommend you go check that out and give that uh, a read. All right, so I'm going to start off with something that is not necessarily uh, local one way or the other, but it's something that I'm very passionate about and I've always been taught in radio. If you're passionate about it, then do it. And everybody listening will kind of uh, hang on and listen uh, and then give their opinions one way or the other. So, I don't know if you saw this story or not, but Billy Epler uh, was the Mets general manager. Was, because he's no longer, but was the Mets general manager for the last couple of years. And he had been sitting there in New York waiting for his good friend, uh, David Stearns, who had been the president of baseball operations uh, for the Milwaukee Brewers and then stepped aside uh, prior to last season uh, to finish out his contract in like a consulting-type role. Uh, and was waiting for David Stearns to officially announce that he was coming to be president of baseball operations for Mets. And it was a horribly kept secret. I think people have been talking about it for two years, that this is how this whole thing was going to play out. As soon as Epler got hired, and they didn't fill the president of baseball operations job, you could kind of see the writing on the wall of, okay, this is how it's going to be. Uh, And Stearns, successful in Milwaukee. Uh, We talked about this yesterday, about uh, the playoffs. Never got to the World Series, but a lot of uh, playoffs. Now, to New York. Uh, you know, unlimited resources, huge payroll, the whole deal. So why is Billy Epler out? David Stearns just got announced a couple of days ago. This is his guy, his boy. Why is he leaving? He resigned. He quit. I'm done. Elected David Stearns. I'm out of here. What? Well, let's talk about why he resigned. And again, just listen to me. If you're a baseball fan at all, you're going to be like, of course. That's, that's why, why are you quitting over that? This is from uh, Jeff Passan on ESPN. New York Mets general manager Billy Epler resigned Thursday amid a Major League Baseball investigation into his use of the so-called phantom injured list, sources tell ESPN. The practice of placing players on the IL with fake injuries is a long-accepted but ethically murky part of baseball, according to sources. Teams will ask players, often struggling and on the fringe of a roster, to accept an IL placement even when capable of playing, sources said. The player gains the benefit of service time, a major league salary, and retaining a spot on the team's 40-man roster while the team retains the player amid a potential 26-man roster crunch. MLB has investigated past Phantom IL placement sources said though many are though any punishment from those inquiries is unclear. Teams are expected to offer documentation as well as a doctor's approval to support injury claims. Now, let's just clarify a couple things here. There have been, I don't know, numerous, well, we won't put a number on it, numerous CBA agreements since all of this Moreau has started. It's been going on for years. It's something new. I mean, anybody that's kind of around the industry, and even if you're not around the industry, even if you're just a fan, Guy gets shelled a couple of games and all of a sudden, oh, he's got fit, arm fatigue. It's not a torn rotator cuff or a blown-out elbow. Ah, shoulder, It's arm fatigue. Can't prove it. Uh, back spasms. Can't prove it. Whatever the case may be. Sore knee. Again, yeah, can't prove it. I got a sore knee, man. I, I need some time. Okay. And that's, you know, what they put into Major League Baseball of whatever the deal may be. But... What ESPN is saying is it's planned out between the player uh, and the organization. Now, obviously, as you're listening to me, you're going, why in the world would a player accept that? Like, why would the player agree to that? Well, it's simple. The player then still gets paid, but doesn't have to continue to embarrass himself by being horrible for the next couple of weeks or 10 days or whatever it may be, and instead can work on the side, right? Work behind the scenes, at the stadium, uh, you know, getting his fastball fixed or getting his changeup picks. A lot of times it's done with pitchers more than it's done with hitters. But sometimes if you have a hitter in a long extended streak and they're mentally all screwed up and they can't get out of their own way, sometimes they'll do an IL stint to give them a break, right? To give them a mental break, to kind of let them reset it a little bit. Just don't pick up a bat. Don't do anything. just Just take a break, right? And that's kind of how you force it to happen. And as I've said, it, it literally becomes a running joke among fan bases, especially if you're on
3: uh, Twitter. By the way, am I supposed to call it Twitter or am I supposed to call it X now? I'm trying to figure this all out. I don't know. I still call I To be honest, it's I, I still call it Twitter.
2: Uh, yeah. My girl's like, oh, it's, it's X. I'm like, it's Twitter until I'm dead. Yes. So whatever. I don't care. So anyways, the, whatever that platform is, you see all of these baseball fans. I see it with Cardinal fans all the time. When all of a sudden a guy goes on the IL and you see, well, of course, he hadn't pitched all that one in the last couple of games. Not surprised there. So every fan base kind of has an idea of that this thing has been going on. Even though it's never been admitted to one way or the other, but it's always been a thing amongst fans. So now you get an official story from Jeff Passan saying, yep, yeah, y'all have been right this entire time. That's exactly what's going on. And this is the part I don't understand. The part I don't understand is how does major league baseball find out about such a thing? Because these CBAs, as I've said, have been negotiated. Well, if the players themselves didn't like what these GMs and owners uh, and president of baseball operations were doing to them by putting them on the IL, even though they weren't hurt. If that was an issue, an ongoing issue, then why don't you bring it up in the CBA negotiations? Like, why isn't this a sticking point at some point in the CBA negotiation? They could have outed the owners, the GMs, everybody, by simply bringing it to the table in front of them. Hey, fans, you know what you don't know? Let me tell you what they are have been doing for years and we're sick of. They could have brought that up as a talking point in a CBA negotiation. You could go all the way back to the Bud ceiling era days when they had that super long strike and they were trying to figure out what to do. And everybody's like, "Oh, they never got drug testing." Well, Bud could have tried to fight for drug testing, sure, but you would have missed probably a whole nother season. So he he had to figure out when this was going to end or not. And once he got the the deal of revenue sharing, that was the main deal, and that's you know when they ended that strike. But either way, it's been going on forever. So and any of these CBAs that have been negotiated in the last twenty or thirty years. At any point, they could have brought this up as a sticking point and said, "We want this changed." To the best of my knowledge, now again, I'm not in the room as these are happening, right? They're behind closed doors. Maybe it has been brought up, just never brought up publicly. Maybe it's a thing between both parties of, hey, we don't talk about this publicly, whatever, uh, but we want to keep doing it, so what do you want in exchange? So maybe that does happen behind closed doors. But if they agree that this is fine and we're going to do this, then what is MLB investigating? Then what is MLB investigating Trying to throw down punishments on one way or the other. You're telling me that the MLB league office had no idea this has been going on? Had no clue. This is breaking news to them in 2023? Rob Manfred just found out as commissioner of baseball? Get out of here. I don't buy that at all. There's no chance. Who is the one that's ratting out Billy Epler? That's what I'd like to know. So how, how does MLB get involved to be investigating Billy Epler to begin with? Because in my mind, the only way this happens is if, A, a player is hacked off and didn't want to be put on the aisle at some point, and it happened to him multiple times, whatever the case may be, and he went to Major League Baseball complaining about it, or B, somebody in that front office had an ax to grind with Billy Epler over the last couple of years, And saw their shot to take and figured this will get him in trouble. I'll teach him. And they're the ones that ratted him out to Major League Baseball. But regardless of who ratted him out, again, I don't understand how Major League Baseball has a leg to stand on. And what Major League Baseball does a lot, as does the NFL, I don't feel like the NBA does it as much. MLB and NFL consistently act like the fans are stupid and don't know what's going on. And that... What they say is gospel, and we're not allowed to question it. And it's ridiculous. Everybody knows what's going on. What are we doing? If the players agree to it, then that's it. Let's move forward. Is it correct? No. At all. It's completely wrong. 1,000% wrong. So I'm not sitting here defending that it's right. And as a fan, you're probably madder than all get out listening to this. Like, seriously, they make millions of dollars and they can't handle being bad for a little while and figuring out while they're pitching? Yeah. I mean, think about it. You got tickets to go see Adam Wainwright, let's say, who's now retired, but Adam Wainwright of the Cardinals. And Adam Wainwright's headed back a couple of outings. And Marble goes, hey, man, a little bit older, whatever. Let's just give, you, give your arm a break a little bit. You start to lose some velocity. I'll give you 10 days and we'll bring you back. All right, sounds good. Well, you got tickets. To go see the Cardinals. And you want to go go see Adam Wainwright or whatever the case may be. And now you don't get that opportunity. And he's not actually hurt. But now you miss out on seeing the guy you wanted to see. And, you know, we're not all made out of money. So we can't go to like 30 or 40 games a year. Some can. I certainly can. I'm lucky if I get to three or four games at Major League Baseball games a year. So, from that aspect, I can see why a fan would be mad reading this story about this phantom injury list uh that exists in major league baseball. And I don't think and I don't know for sure. Okay? Be a good question for Gabe Kuhn, I guess. I don't know if this exists in the National Football League. I don't know if this exists in the NBA. I will say this about the NBA. Do I buy all the time when I see a reason of why somebody is taking a rest day? No. I don't. Because it's a lot of again stuff you can't prove. Right? That it's just a feeling a player has. You can't prove if somebody has a back spasm or a sore knee or a sore ankle or whatever else. You just write it down, submit it, boom. League leaves me alone. It's not a rest day, right? A vet rest day. That's not what it is because you can't have those really. So you got to come up with some other cockamamie excuse to get around a, a rule that's put in place by the National Basketball Association because the guys don't want to play 82 games a year. So you, you do it that way. Football, like I said, I don't think so. I don't think it happens in football. I can't even think of one instance where I've even questioned it in all my time watching football where I thought somebody was faking a, a being hurt uh, or whatever the case may be. Like I, I can't ever remember doing that. NBA, have, I've had my doubts on certain guys, uh, Major League Baseball consistently, like literally could call it on Twitter that it was going to happen before they announced it was going to happen the day after. Um, so this is definitely, I, I completely buy into this, this being a thing. Epler released this statement. I wanted David, meaning David Stearns, to have a clean slate, and that meant me stepping down. The Mets this season placed 25 players on the IL, a total of 28 times, according to ESPN Stats and Information. That ranks 16th among MLB teams. They weren't even the leader in the clubhouse, for God's sakes. And they're going after Billy Epler. Again, absolutely ridiculous in my opinion, because clearly both parties are fine with it, and now you're going to try and be the moral police like you don't know, and I'm here to tell you nobody believes that you don't know.
3: Connor, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? I find it odd. It it clearly feels like somebody had, had it out to get Epler, because like you said, they're kind of dead center in the MLB ranks of placing people on the I.L., so it's not like the MLB thought that the Mets had some problem With doing this so that they were taking advantage of the situation. It does seem like one of those mutually agreed upon things between MLB teams like hey we all there's a bit of a loophole here with this rule. We're all going to use it as long as all of us agree that we're all going to use it. It's going to be fine. One of the beauties of baseball I've always thought is kind of not the I this isn't necessarily an unwritten rule, but it, it kind of falls into that category. The unwritten rules of baseball where, you know, they're not written down, but everybody knows how things are working. You know, you can't, you don't, you don't step on the line when you walk out. You don't run over the pitcher's mound when you're going out, out, things, little things like that. You don't pimp a home run too much. You don't do things like that. I don't understand where the investigation is coming from. What's the, what's the reasoning for the investigation? If they're going to investigate the Mets, are they going to investigate? Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Everybody else, because to your point about the NBA, it was a problem in the NBA. It became such a problem that they had to do, <laughs> they had to put a rule in to make sure that people weren't going to load manage too much. They had to put a rule in, basically yeah, saying you have to play this number of games or you're yep. ineligible for All NBA. Right. And they have the star rule now. So right. if you were an all-star
2: and there's two all-stars at the same team, you can't rest two all-stars at the same time. You can only rest one all-star uh, at, a team, uh, at a time. So if you have a super team like Durant, Booker, and Beal, right, maybe you can't rest two of the three. You can only rest one of those guys. And again, like you were just saying, somebody can just say, I've got a bad back or back spasms or a knee, whatever. Oh, here, team doctor, here, sign off saying I have a bad back. Yep, sounds good. All right, go sit down. And that's it. Like... Every rule is going to be meant to to get around. And I don't think for the superstar players, the bonus money that may be in their contracts for playing a certain number of games to get a certain award is enough to deter them from not wanting to play.
3: Well, yeah. And like, so let's say... Because at the end of the day,
2: we're talking about trying to win a championship. right? That's what this is all about. It's not about anything else. They don't care. Listen, I should say they don't care. Most of these guys that have won the MVP, they only want want the ring at this point. They want more championships, regardless of who it is. The Joker in Denver, he's done it all. He wants rings now. Giannis in Milwaukee, he's done it all. He wants rings now. That's what this is. Now, maybe it's different for Ja Morant, right? Maybe that MVP award means more to Ja than it does these other guys that have already won the MVP award. So from that aspect, I guess that is... Uh, a carrot on a stick to kind of try and dangle out there to keep job playing all the games so he's eligible. But what's going to happen, more than likely, at some point, is the top three or top four guys that should win the MVP aren't going to be eligible because they're taking their rest days and don't care about it. And then that fifth or sixth guy down the line is going to end up winning MVP or something. And then everybody is going to scream and yell and complain that it's not fair that that person didn't deserve the MVP award. And then once that happens, they're going to change the rule back uh, and they're just going to get rid of that rule and go, no, everybody just vote for whoever you want to vote for. Forget how many games they play. Do what you want. That's the first time it happens where it's like the fifth or sixth best player in the league wins MVP, that rule will change. Every time you put in a new rule in any of these sports, these guys are all going to find the loophole or wait for it to blow up in your face if they don't like it, and then 9 out of 10 times, they change the rule back. That's usually how it always
3: happens, Connor. Yeah, I want to ask you this, because, you know, my Red Sox had a terrible season. I I wasn't as locked in as I usually am to a baseball season because I knew pretty early on this is a you know scrappy team, but they kind of stink. Was this a problem with baseball? Was it like a talked-about issue? Because I don't remember hearing about it. I don't remember hearing that star players were sitting out on IL. It does seem like that players are using it mostly for what you were talking about. Like a guy is struggling for a little bit. Let's throw him on the IL, give him some time. He still gets MLB money. He still gets time with the team. And then we can throw him back in the games. But it just, I don't understand what the reasoning for the investigation is because are they going to investigate all of the teams? Are they like, are they going to investigate the San Francisco giants that had 46 IL placements? Or are they just going to investigate the Mets? Like, what's the actual reasoning for this? What's the point of it? Are they going to change the rule because of findings from this? Is this just an Epler investigation, or is it, does it go outside of him? I just I want more information about the origin of the investigation because it, it confuses well, me why it's even a thing. Remember, who is the guy that came into Major League Baseball in his new ownership role and decided to hell
2: with everybody, I'm going to spend all my money. I'm oh, going to go get Scherzer. I see. I'm going to go get whoever I want. And I don't care if all you small markets are mad at me or not. I'm going to do it however I want to do it because I'm Steve Cohen and I can. See, and now you have all these other owners that are just waiting for something to go wrong to kind of jump on them at that point. Uh, and that, to me, is speaks volumes, too. Because you're going to pick who you want to go investigate, just like you're going to pick who you want to tattle on and report on. Right, right. If if you're if you're friends with all these other owners and you're one of the one of their guys, odds are they're just going to turn their head to kind of look the other way and not worry about it. But uh, if you're not that guy and you're a guy that a lot of those guys don't like, and they see an opportunity to kind of screw up your organization or take a shot at taking one of your guys down, they're going to take it. I mean, it's it really is childish. Without question, but that's what these dudes are—they're billionaire children.
3: Can I? <laughs> they're very competitive. It's like being out at recess. Everybody trying to uh, trying to figure out the best way to win the game. Can I offer you a conspiracy theory?
2: I love conspiracy
3: theories. Awesome. This this is a very half baked. Considering I just thought it up about thirty seconds ago, but later on in the show we're going to talk about Shohei Otani. You know, Epler had ties to Otani. Could this be? Owners basically trying to block an Otani to Mets possibility because they know that Steve Cohen's just going to throw money at him. Absolutely. And Epler signed Otani with the Angels. Exactly. So that's the
2: tie for those that didn't know. And that's absolutely could be what's going on here. Now, is it going to matter? No. Why is it going to matter? Because if Billy Epler isn't going to have an MLB job, and Billy Epler is just going to randomly call Otani and be like, hey, I know I'm not there, but my guy David Stearns is the man... Uh, and you're in good hands. Look at what he did in Milwaukee. You'll go to a, you'll go to a World Series or two with Stearns. Like, that's where you still want to go, even though I'm not there. That call can still happen, right? Now, that call's not going to happen if somebody hires Billy Epler between now and free agency. If, if he ends up getting another job, I would guess Billy Epler ends up doing MLB Network next year and takes a year off <laughs> uh, and hand delivers Otani to the Mets of given the opportunity, if that's what this is all about. And trust me, Billy Epler knows why he's being investigated, and I bet you he knows who narked and who told whoever, and he's well aware of everything around it because just like any place you work, there's going to be people that are going to talk all the time because that's what they like to do. They like to talk. They like to break news to other people, whatever the case may be. And in this situation here, you've got people in that MLB office that I guarantee you don't like Rob Manfred, aren't fans or don't like other higher-ups in that office, Uh, and if they get wind of what actually is going on, I'm sure you figure out a way to get it back to the guy uh, that's getting screwed here in Billy Epler to let him know who narked on him, why they're so mad, and why they're doing what they're doing. That's
3: yeah, my guess yeah I, I think that makes I think that makes a lot of sense because it, it reminds me in a way of the investigation in, into the Astros about the sign stealing in that all of the teams do it but they just did it egregiously and that's why they you know got investigated because they crossed the line and it was actually cheating but stealing signs is one of those unwritten rules of baseball if you can steal signs you do it I can just tell it right now when I was in high school one of my jobs was to try to steal signs it's what happens across the country it is part of the game. You can't be smacking trash cans in the you know in the outfield though and get pitching signals like that. But that's why like this reminds me of that in that all of the teams are doing this, but but they're 16th. It's not like they were the number one team in I. L placement. So that's why it just feels like an odd investigation to be happening. I totally agree with you. Uh, and that's the thing
2: that I want to see how this whole thing plays out. And now I want to see what does David Stearns do as for a general manager? Does he go back and take somebody from Milwaukee? Uh, does he take somebody from his days in Houston because he was with Houston before he went to Milwaukee? Uh, where does he go to get his next general manager? Because you would have to think coming into this job, he thought his GM was in place and uh, they were just going to have a bunch of fun winning a bunch of games. Uh, remember, Sturz came out right away and said that Alonzo was going to be their opening day first baseman next year. Yeah. Uh, and everybody thought they were going to trade Alonzo. In fact, the Brewers were involved in trying to get Alonzo at the trade deadline. Now, again, I would love to know if David Stearns was contacted at any point by the Mets about, hey, your team is trying to get Pete Alonzo for him from us, you're going to be our guy. What do you want us to do? Like, was he talked to during that whole time? That I would love to know.
3: Yeah, I'm going to be interested. Do you have any worries about him grabbing people from Milwaukee since, you know, they just fired their manager? Uh, yeah,
2: Walters out in New York. Walter wants the Angels job. Uh, Minesian uh, is in the last year of his deal with the Angels. I'm not sure how that's going to go. Uh, the Brewers have Craig Council, right. whose managerial contract is up, he's a free agent. Uh, so, does he follow Stearns to New York to be his manager? Um, we don't know uh, what's going to happen with Craig Council. And then, you know, from the GM spot, I would think he's going to raid Houston and Milwaukee somewhat uh, as far as scouting departments, front office, coaches. That would be my guess because. Anytime – well, you know this. You've been in radio a long time. If you bring in a general manager or if a new program director comes in, what happens? Normally, they go and hire one or two people that they've worked in with in the past so they have a couple of guys that they can trust around them. Right. And that's normally what happens. So this is no different here with Stern's getting this job. He's going to hire people that he has a relationship with that he can trust kind of going forward and that he's comfortable with. So I would assume – uh, that's that's probably going to be the deal for sure. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Coming up next, we're going to run down Bill Bender from the Sporting News National College and NFL writer. That's straight ahead here on the Gabe Kuhn Show. I'm Steve Sparky Pfeiffer filling in on 92.9 FM ESPN.
1: Guests appear on the Smile Center Hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. With today's special guest host, Sparky Pfeiffer. Welcome back.
2: Let's uh, talk some college football, some pro football with one of my guys, Bill Bender, a national football writer for the Sporting News. Follow him on Twitter at BillBender92. What's going on, Bill? Thanks for coming on. Hey, not much, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh something we've been talking about uh and are going to continue to talk about here probably for the next week or so is a big game coming up for Memphis as they get Tulane uh next Friday night uh and as you look at the schedule outside of SMU later in the schedule the rest of those games are all winnable uh on their schedule besides you know Tulane will be a tough one and SMU will be a tough one uh what do you like about that game what do you like about Memphis so far this season well,
1: I mean you know I do our one to 133 every week and uh Memphis and Tulane are among the higher group of five schools. I'm also an Ohio University alum, so selfishly those guys are up there too. But, uh, you know, obviously Blake Watson's had a good season. Uh, Quarterback plays good. And then on the other side, Michael Pratt had that injury for Tulane. So when you're looking at two schools to maybe be that group of five school that plays in the New Year's Day six and position themselves for even next year on some level, right, I, I think it's a huge game.
2: So let's talk about kind of what this looks like going forward. With these these Power 5 conferences that continue to build and build and build, what does that mean for everybody else, like Memphis, who I'm sure would like to find themselves in a Power 5 school, but at the end of the day, you know, eventually the, the chairs are going to stop being open for all these schools to hop in on. Then where does that leave everybody else? Because it feels like we're going towards a college football... um future where it's only going to be three conferences maybe, maybe four conferences, uh, and then those are going to be the teams that are really be playing for the, the national championship and being in the playoffs and the rest of these schools are probably going to have to come up with their own playoff
1: format. Yeah, and I think it's about access in the short term though with, with the 12-team playoff, I mean, we, we live in a world that's hard to describe Sparky. I mean, last year, last summer was the most bizarre summer of covering the sport that I've ever had with all the realignment moves. So I think it's about having access in the 12-team playoff, having that shot to be a Cinderella. I mean, being honest, the group of five-type schools aren't going to uh, be given much of a chance in those games, but the second they pull an upset, we'll be all in on them. So I, I think it's certainly something to keep in mind, and as long as they have that access, then I don't think they'll break off and do their own thing.
2: What about the transfer portal and how that plays in for some of these schools uh, we're going to talk with Frank Bonner second. He had a, a piece uh, in the Daily Memphian talking about some of these kids that they got from the SEC uh, that transferred uh, to Memphis. Uh, and how does that help uh, or hurt, I guess, uh, schools like Memphis having this transfer portal where a coach like Deion Sanders can come in, wipe everybody out, uh, and start all over?
1: Well, you mean like free agency, right? It, That's it becomes year to year free agency compounded by NIL, compounded by the ability to come and go as you please. And it it probably make you know what, it diminishes, I think. And I got to read this article. I can't wait to, honestly. Um, Recruiting rankings. I was thinking about that today. It's like, what's if you have a top 10 recruiting class grade, how long does that last, five minutes? (laughs) I mean, you know, that's something to keep in mind. So I think roster management from a college football coach standpoint has to be very hard with all of these new changes. It's not like the NFL where it's, Draft, free agency, pick up and go as you go, like any other professional business. It's, uh, it's a lot harder.
2: Well, think about it. Before, if I had, I don't know, say 20 scholarships available uh, going into an offseason, I'm, I'm going to use that with my recruiting class to fill that up. Now, I may only use five scholarships and fill it up with 15 portal players that can come in and help me immediately versus having to wait for a freshman to develop.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And, and you know, I think it's a combination of both. I think one school in the Power Five that's kind of mastered this a little bit is Michigan. Um, you know, and, and some of that might be because of Jim Harbaugh's NFL background. They, they recruit well, but not at the Alabama-Ohio State level. And then they plug in two or three guys, and you've seen it this year, that are immediate starters. So for all the comparisons to college football and the NFL, I think NIL and the transfer portal is more like – Major League Baseball free agency, where the rich can add a couple new players and new assets, whereas and then those bottom teams and low-budget programs suffer.
2: Let's talk about a couple other college games uh, this weekend. Obviously, the big one, Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, Everybody is buying what Texas is selling, I think, at this point, with great quarterback play. Are you taking Texas in this one?
1: I am, but I'm – Leary, because everybody's taking texas in this one and we're all assuming that hey this is going to be a seven to ten point win for the longhorns and they won 49 nothing last year and they've won every game by double digits and they're playing great football right now so that does make leave me with a little bit of cautiousness and um one game i've had the fortune to cover that game before it is a bucket lister the texas state fair is awesome i wouldn't eat all that fried food but uh I do think Texas ends up winning this game by a touchdown.
2: Never done it, but you, you did a good sales job there and why I should go do it. Uh, what about uh, the team that everyone around the country loves to either love or hate Notre Dame as they take on Louisville?
1: What a, a fantastic game. Uh, you know, this is their third straight primetime game, and then they have a fourth straight primetime game next week with USC. So I think on some level it's about how they manage their emotions. How, how can they get up for? That's hard. When you're an 18- to 22-year-old kid, uh, play four straight primetime games. And uh, Louisville's really good. Jeff Brom, first year, fit matters. Uh, Plummer, the quarterback, second in the ACC in efficiency. So they'll be ready for him. And I think – but Notre Dame's history against ACC schools on the road. They have a pretty good track record. Uh, I think they get out with a win, but it's not going to be easy.
2: Uh, one other thing in college uh, football, uh, and that is all of a sudden the eligibility – Uh, for tez walker the wide receiver at north carolina after everybody thought he wasn't gonna be able to play this year what changed how did how did this happen
1: well i you know i think the the outcry had grown to a point where you gotta take care of business here and let the kid play i mean come on and now there are some precedents with that transfer portal and you know kids got to make the right decisions but in this case I think the NCAA just wasn't willing to admit that it was wrong, right? And they're even in their explanation, well, UNC didn't give us enough uh, information. So good for Tez Walker. Glad he's on the field. It's another asset for North Carolina, Drake May. He's having a good season. But I think the big news for North Carolina is he has a running game behind him. He has a really good defense. They've got a really good team. And uh, they take care of business against Syracuse tomorrow. It sets up a really good game against Miami.
2: I was anxious to see Drake May and what that looked like without Phil Longo, uh, his offensive coordinator there, who uh, picked up and left to Wisconsin. How has that changed for what they do on offense? Has it changed anything?
1: Well, I I think they rely on the running game a little more. I think they've become a little bit tougher, honestly. And, uh, you know, a tougher team to beat as a result. They took care of business against Minnesota. They had a really good non-conference run. Beat App State, that's never an easy game. Beat South Carolina, never an easy game. And uh, they've gotten into ACC games taking care of business. I do think for all the talk about Florida State, Florida State does look playoff ready on some level, um, that these games against Miami and North Carolina are not going to be easy. Those are two really good football teams.
2: Let's switch gears uh, and talk some NFL football now with Bill Bender of the Sporting News, national football writer for them. Follow him on Twitter at BillBender92 as he joins us here on the Gabe Kuhn Show. I'm Steve Sparky Fiver filling in on 92.9 FM ESPN. Uh, what about uh, the Titans uh, and the Colts coming up this weekend uh, with Jonathan Taylor's possible return at running back for Indianapolis?
1: Well, he better get out there. He's on my fantasy team. <laughs> oh, no, uh, there yeah. we go. Yeah. That's a self-interest, of course. No, I think Tennessee, and as you know, I'm based in Ohio, Tennessee really impressed last week, the way that they took care of business against a uh, Bengals team. They they just demolished them. So I think, you know, this will be one of those tough hard-nosed South football games. And for me, it's about getting Derrick Henry going, getting him comfortable, getting that defense going. I like where the Titans are headed. They, they've been hard to read the last two weeks playing those Ohio teams, but, uh,
2: uh, this is an improved Colts team as well. Yeah, but it's a, it's a Colts team that I think uh, is relatively hurt right now. I mean, their injury report came out today. Shaq Leonard, their linebacker, is out. Their left tackle is out. Quiddy Pay, their defensive end, is out. Uh, none of them guys are playing. Now, Ryan Kelly, their center, is supposed to be back after missing the last two games. But playing against that Tennessee defense without your left tackle is something you don't want to do, especially when they're as good against the run as they are.
1: Right, and, and, you know, they, they, Anthony Richardson's interesting to me. He was such a polarizing draft prospect, and I'm always of the opinion that you just give it time and, and find out. If, if you'd have told me C.J. Stroud was having the success he's having already, and Anthony Richardson had shown this growth, I mean, it's a different NFL now. So both of those guys have played well. I've been impressed with both of them so far.
2: Bill, the other thing I'm curious about uh, from your perspective, since uh, you keep bringing up the Ohio a thing. Are, are the Bengals yeah. dead? Is it over? Like, are, are we done with them? Are they, are they just not going to be that team this year? I mean, Burrow says his cap's much better than it was in the previous game. As of right now, going into this game, got Jamar Chase running his mouth. Like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I didn't think the Bengals would be in last in their own dang division, but who knows now?
1: This is two years in a row where they've started out so slow. And I, you know, a lot of my friends are Bengals fans, so they're freaking out a little bit. So it, it, places a great deal of emphasis on this Arizona game out in the desert this weekend where, as you know, watching the NFL, any team that goes out to the West Coast that doesn't do it often, they go play at Arizona. You never know what you're going to get in those games. So there is a ton of pressure on Cincinnati. I think there's a ton of pressure on Joe Burrow, who may have came a little early, but, uh, man, they they got to get it going this week. It's a little bit of hour or never because they're falling behind in a division where the Ravens are good, the Browns are obviously better. The Steelers, not so much, but I don't know if you can afford to finish third in the AFC North and still make the playoffs.
2: Are you buying Justin Fields after the last two games?
1: Pretty good. I mean, it's good for him, too. He's taking a lot of criticism. I mean, he looked good last night. I didn't anticipate that they would come out and blow the doors off the commanders like they did last night. But last two games looking good, more decisive with the football. Getting the ball to D.J. Moore, common sense there, right? Uh, and uh, he's playing well. So I, I think... Again, you got to give him time, and this is an organization that has struggled and is under a lot of fire, but, you know, it's kind of – and I'm a Packers fan, so what I'm saying is somebody with Dick Buckus passing away yesterday, I wasn't mad that the Bears won.
2: It's too bad that – I mean, I don't know. I, I, I was about to say that it's too bad that most people never saw Dick Buckus play. I right. guess it would be where right. I was going on that. But, like, there's I, – I saw videos all over Twitter Of NFL films type stuff of interviews and highlights from Butkus uh, that people were tweeting out all day yesterday uh, and then all day today. He truly was one of the greatest linebackers to ever play the game.
1: You know, and and I watched a lot of NFL films as a kid. I didn't see Butkus as a player. I'm a little young, but the appreciation for it. And when you played high school football and had coaches tell you that's how you play the position and you would watch the viciousness with which you played. The the hard-nosed Way. And not only that, he's one of the greatest college football players of all time in Illinois. So he's a legend up here in these parts in Big Ten country. And, um, you know, just condolences to his family. I mean, that is the prototype of how you should play one of the hardest positions in sports.
2: But, I mean, there was another side of Jake Butkus, like spitting on the opposing center's hands before they snap the ball. I mean, that type of stuff, that, that, that's a little different, right? I mean, that's a
1: little different. I, I, I've never heard of that in today's NFL. Yeah, it probably wouldn't happen today. But, uh, you no. know, that was part of the game then. And as a different generation, you know. And uh, obviously – and then he parlayed it into a nice uh, career in acting. So, he you know, did. what a legend in so many ways.
2: All right, Packer fan, Nitschke or Butkus?
1: <laughs> Don't make me answer that on the air. You know what I'm going to say. I, I, I read a story – uh heard a story the other day about Nitschke having a uh, – like a scaffolding fall on his helmet, and it knocked the board out, and he still played with the same helmet. They just painted over it. Those guys, like I said, different different generations.
2: And now you've got NBA players needing rest days. That's uh, just um, it's truly, truly amazing where we are uh, currently. He is Bill Bender, uh, and again, make sure you want to follow him uh, on Twitter because the dude just does amazing work. Uh, at BillBender92, National Football Writer for the Sporting News. Bill, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. Take care. You bet you take care. There he is. Bill Bedner, joining us here on the Gabe Kuhn show uh, on 92, nine ESPN. You know, there was one story I forgot to bring up to him and we had already went from uh, college to the NFL. So I didn't want to go backwards, but I don't, I had saved on my Twitter account under my likes and I saved it. I don't know when I saved it yesterday, two days ago, something like that. Did you see the story about uh, the Utah NIL collective? Now, a collective for these universities are essentially a group of businesses that all get together, uh, and they pool money together to throw at different athletes who need you know, endorsements or money, whatever the case may be. Now, this is Utah. This is not Alabama. This is not LSU or Auburn or Tennessee, not, a, not, not an SEC school, right? It's not Ohio State in the Big Ten or Florida or Florida State. It's Utah The Utah NIL Collective gifts brand new Dodge Ram 1500 trucks to all 85 scholarship football players. They all got a brand new Dodge Ram 1500 if you were under
3: scholarship for Utah this year. Connor, when do we get that in radio? I was I was about to say, you know, it's it would have to stink to be a non-scholarship player in that locker room night right now. In the oh, yeah, match. you're like a walk on. Uh, yeah, right. we we got we grabbed you a pen from the dealership. Here you go. <laughs> you can you could you carpool with these guys. You, right. you can you ride in it. Right. Could you
2: imagine that, man? You know, it, it, for the longest time it was, oh, you know, these kids should be getting paid and so forth. And nobody wants to talk about the fact that well, your scholarship is paying for your education to to go to school, which is not a cheap date in most universities to begin with. Um, So everybody wanted to get these kids paid. So now it's the NIL stuff. I don't know, man. If I was a freshman at Utah on scholarship, and maybe I'm not even that good as far as the depth chart goes, whatever else, but I can walk away from Utah with a brand new truck that I don't got to pay for. Heck yeah, man, sign me up. And I guarantee you, word of that is gonna get around college football, and you're gonna start seeing more and more stories just like that. Wasn't the SMU deal years and years ago,
3: wasn't though wasn't that transams that they were all getting? The Pony Express, like that yeah. thing that was going on? I I don't a hundred percent remember.
2: I think it was transams. I think that's what it was. Gold transams, maybe? I don't know. There was something along those lines. But and now in today's age, you can do it legally and completely get away with it, which is quite amazing if you ask me. All right, uh, coming up next, uh, we're going to go around the NFL, uh, and I, I, there's a couple of stories we got to talk about here. Uh, number one, San Francisco defense uh, is actually getting better. They've acquired another player that's actually going to make them a better football team, and that's an amazing story. Uh, and the Green Bay Packers, as Bill Benner just talked about, uh, found out that one of their key players is now gone for the year officially, Uh, on the injured reserve list. We'll tell you who that is coming up next here on 92.9 FM ESPN.